A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. Today, I am speaking with Corey Tyree, who is the co-founder and CEO of Trillium Renewable Chemicals. Trillium is the leader in green acrylonitrile technology, and they are on a quest to replace petroleum-derived products with plant-based products. They have formed partnerships with Hyosung, Helm, and Salve to help develop technology and products. And I think maybe we'll hear a little bit about that. Prior to Trillium, Corey worked all over, has a lot of experience across the value chain, working as an operator, an engineer, a manager, and an executive. So he has seen it and done it and brings that with him to Trillium. Corey, welcome to The Chemical Show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. What's your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals and what ultimately led you to Trillium? Yeah, so you mentioned I've been a little bit all over the place. You know, one thing I have in common with my peers is I'm a corporate dropout. You know, you see in the tech space, you know, people have this maybe caricature of the college dropout, the Harvard dropout, making it big as a startup CEO. I think in hard tech, what you see is I think more people like me, right? The corporate dropout, somebody who really wanted to do the startup, but it takes time. You got to get some experience and learn how this, this industry works. And that's me. I worked in the industry for, for quite a while, and when this opportunity came up, I took it. This is a great job. I love what we do. That's awesome. So tell us about Trillium. So Trillium is scaling up a technology to transform plant-based feedstock, so think glycerin. So the raw material there is acid oil in the U.S., soybean oil, Asia, it's palm oil. So you take the glycerin and then transform it to acrylonitrile, so it's not a new material. That's a big market. It's been around for over 50 years. We're making a drop-in replacement. We make it from a plant-based feedstock. That's awesome. When you came upon Trillium, was the company already established or were you one of these guys that sought out and found some cool technology and decided to develop a company around it? Yeah. So I actually quit my job nine months before Trillium existed. There was no Trillium. We didn't have a name. So I was really excited about the opportunity. When you quit your job and you got a young family, you got to be pretty excited. But I did some consulting on the side and really, frankly, worked for free trying to get this Trillium thing going. And what Trillium was, was the technology was licensed in from a research institute. So the technology piece is from a research institute. The money came from Capricorn Partners, traditional venture capital investor. So money from them, technology from the research institute, and then the people. People like me, right? So the company technically started in my garage. In the second floor of my garage, we got it going. And hopefully I look back on those early days with fond memories. It was a lot of fun trying to get this going. Yeah. And how long have you been working on this? 
I've been involved with it since 2015. So it sounds like we're new and just formed, but there was seven years of development at the Research Institute starting in 2014. So it went through lab to pilot. And Victoria, like so many of these things, then what do you do, right? How to get it out of there. And because and, at the end of the day, you got to build a plant. Somebody does. And that what you do, we thought was, hey, look, we got to create a new co. Got to create a new company. Got to set up the company for the sole purpose of commercializing the technology. Awesome. And so where are you at with this process at this point? How close are you to commercialization and investment in an asset, et cetera? Yeah, so we went through two pilots. The Research Institute built one pilot, and then there's a second pilot, which is operating now in West Virginia, and we're making acrylonitrile, right? So I know you came from this industry. That's a big deal, right? We're making product, and we've got the two steps. They're operable there. And then after that, we're building a market demonstration unit. And that's really what's next for Trillium is designing and building that demo unit. Got it. Got it. Got it. And I know you've, along the way, you've established several partnerships to support the development. Can you talk about those partnerships and what they bring to the table and why you went with that approach? Yeah. And I think this is another area of maybe distinction with, you know, traditional tech startups. Think of startups, most people think of tech, but for the hard tech companies like Trillium, where we're going to scale up a manufacturing plant, we're set in the middle of a industrial supply chain. Our customers are corporations, our suppliers are corporations, the constructors are corporations. So it's not so much a choice that we want to partner with corporates. It's a necessity, right? And we better be good at it too, right? So I do think it's something that Trillium's good at. I think one of the reasons why we're good at it is the people that work here came from there. We were them, right? And we understand how to talk to them, I think. And so that experience, I think, is valuable. I think the other thing that, how do you know when you've got a good partnership? I would say one of the hallmarks is when you see an executive in the room really driving. When Trillium starts a conversation and there's, a, there's an executive for a big company saying, this is what the strategy is, this is how you guys fit, it feels like this is not a road to nowhere. This is a road to somewhere. So I think that's one positive sign, and we look for that. We don't partner with everybody we talk to, but the ones that we have, strategy alignment. The other thing I would say is trust. And getting to the point where you're being transparent about what your plans are and what you're doing, the good, the bad, the challenges that you have. And when they understand that and they're still in it, they're in it for the long haul. This is not this is not a quick win, right? We're not going to start generating revenue next month, right? This is, I mentioned earlier, it was seven years before Trillium existed that we worked on this. So the partners that we have, look at Solve. Solve's been involved with this since 2014. Great partner. They've never left us. Great partner, really invested in this development. Helm AG, I was meeting with them before the company existed, before we had a name. Kiyosung. Same thing. Capricorn, I've known those guys for, I guess, more than five years now. So all the people we're working with, they get what we're doing. They know the challenge and they're in it for the long haul. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, the both pieces of that, the, the trust piece, and this is what I've heard pretty consistently 
when I talk to other leaders about the partnerships that they go into, that establishing that trust and having aligned objectives and that transparency is so critical to being successful, right? You're not going to progress it without that. But then it's also the, the timing, right? So I think in many cases, well, heck, let's be honest, maybe in all cases, new and novel and innovative technology has to happen outside of a typical corporate construct because corporations are designed and looking for, you know, what can they monetize quickly? And the reality, as you pointed out, seven plus years in the making, there's not a quick monetization strategy on this. <laughs> um, you know, hopefully it won't take another seven years before you guys are feeling really monetized. We'll see, right? But it takes a long time to get to that point. So, so figuring out how to do it in an ecosystem that is separate yet connected to big corporate is critical. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at how this was funded, right, that, you know, was that early work was funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. It fit with a government initiative to develop renewable carbon fibers so that, you know, the government, frankly, sort of addressed that risk, right? Early stage in 2014. Is this really going to work, right? And that was funded by the government. And then you look at what we're doing now, the risk is spread across multiple investors. And I I think that's how you do it. If you look at my peers, many of them look very similar, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about where you see the product going. So customers and and markets. So obviously, acrylonitrile is a big chemical product, although maybe one that a lot of people don't know about. So I'm always, you know, that's always the interesting thing is that we have so many chemicals, chemicals across the industry. We don't all know what they do. So where do you see this product going? Is there any particular unique niches that you see for your customers and, and your future customers? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's intermediate, right? So it shows up in a lot of finished goods, but it can be a part of the finished good, right? For example, Lego bricks is the, maybe the most well-known example where that's made out of ABS plastic. As you know, the A is acrylonitrile. So it's a significant part of the mass of those Lego bricks, but not all of it. There's a lot of options, I would say. It's a really fascinating, diverse market, right? You can make apparel out of it, acrylic fiber sweaters, sun umbrellas, blue medical gloves, toys, aerospace parts, car parts. I mean, there's a lot of options. So I would say we haven't chosen yet. I can talk about how I think one goes about choosing. Yeah, let's right? talk about that. Because I think that's interesting is figuring out where do you Commercializing products of any variety is challenging, and part of it's figuring out what do your customers really want, right? And and you could be going, it, it, this is not the field of dreams. So I like to tell people, right, if you build it, that there is no guarantee that they show up. So yeah, how yeah. do you figure out how to engage and develop a product and develop customers so that you have success? Yeah, so let me, I'll give you some of the ways we look at this, right? So. And not all these sort of converge to one answer. Some of them are opposing one another, right? But here's an example. What if acrylonitrile makes up 100% by mass of the product? That means that the carbon footprint reduction on my side really translates to impact downstream, right? Best example, to make one kilo of carbon fiber, you need two kilos of acrylonitrile. It's basically the only raw material there. You want to have an impact? Carbon fiber. But that's a durable good. It's also lightweight, flies around the plane. The plane's lighter, saves fuel efficiency. Many of the benefits of carbon fiber 
are sort of realized during the long life of that material. So the raw material footprint is somehow not diminished, but less because of the benefit of the lightweight material. Compare that to the rubber glove. Put it on, throw it away. It's got hazardous waste on it, maybe blood, very difficult recycling problem. Then in that case, what dominates the life cycle analysis? The raw material. So the raw material becomes very important if, if that product wants to become greener. So there, there's another example. And so those are different answers. But at the end of the day, you know who's going to drive this? The paying customer, right? What, who really wants to pay for a lower carbon footprint product? Is it the industrial segment? Products that are closer to the consumer? Apparel? So we've got lots of options. One thing I'll say at the very end, and this often forgotten but shouldn't be, product quality. These specs are not the same across all these segments, and not all of the existing fleet in the world meets all those specs. Nobody's selling to everybody, right? I mean, you don't take one plant. And, and, and so quality matters here too. And I would say we spend much of our time thinking about that right now. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think in a traditional development, let's just say an asset development, when you're building a new asset going into a new market, there's this, there's a certain philosophy of sell out, then sell up right? Recognizing, go make the cheap and cheerful product that you know that you can make that people will buy and want and sell out, sell out your plant, sell out and start monetizing and getting experience. And then you have to start selling up to more specialized products or more challenging products and stuff. So I think that's probably true. That's true in existing, well-defined products and markets. It's also probably true in maybe a slightly different way as you're starting to enter new markets with a new product. That's right. And, and the, the reality is, is we're not bringing so much volume to the market, right? That it, we're bringing, you've got to make enough volume to satisfy one customer in one segment. And that'll represent a significant component of our initial volume. And so I think the other thing to ask yourself, you know, stepping away from the complexity, where is there the most interest? Look at Trillium's investors. We've got a partner for over nine years, carbon fiber. Get an investor, carbon fiber. Why is that? That's telling, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting to me with that as well, though, is it also strikes me that's a riskier, higher, tighter specifications, right? In terms of you talk about where the end uses are going, that there's a risk profile that needs to be addressed as well, right? You know, so if you make acrylic nitrile gloves, you're replacing a cheap material, it's single use, you move on. Um, there's maybe not the value there. Carbon fiber is a much more complex market and end use. Yeah, and I would say that, can't talk about specs, but I would just say that actually there are other segments that are known for having the most challenging spec because the downstream uh, processing uses biology. So you're not wrong, but it, it's... the. The, the spec's actually not easy in any of the segments, right? I mean, people who make this product actually know what they're doing, right? The, the quality spec's tight. So it's a big challenge for Trillium. Yeah, I bet. That's interesting. So how are you guys, you know, I know that you're on a growth platform. You are looking to get a kiloton plant built to be able to start proving out, really proving out the market. When do you bring people in? How are you bringing people in? Is Is talent, development and acquisition a challenge at this point or are people jumping at the opportunity 
Uh, this may be my favorite topic in startup world. So, you know, Trillium has, I'm not the only corporate dropout, right? If you look at our team, it's made up of a small number of very experienced people. And look, I think for vanity reasons, everybody wants to say, how many people do you have? 20, 30, 40, a big number, right? That sounds exciting. Like you're, you know, you're taking off and I actually resist that. I like the smaller number of very experienced who can really get this done. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think this is a great place for a new college grad. We, we need someone to come in. It's a highly regulated, complex industry, lots of safety issues, right? So the people we're hiring, they can come in and do engineering drawings, design this equipment, design the reactor. They've done this before. They understand exactly the kinds of equipment that we need to buy. They know how to do the development. We're following rules that have been around a long time, right? We're not breaking these rules. We have people who know the rules and know how to follow them. And so I think we're, you know, we're going with a small number of people, very experienced. Every single one of them used to work at a big corporate. Yeah. The Trillium, the corporate dropouts. Should we call that as our, yeah, I will erase that. We won't call it as your new tagline, but it is, it's an interesting observation and challenge, right? I mean, I think people get to a certain point and they want to be able to um, have a bigger impact. Yeah, that's right. And you sometimes are able to at a big company. Yeah, I think that's actually another thing that's maybe changed is, uh, by the way, we do have one guy who worked at a couple of startups. So we're not all corporate dropouts. He'll get mad at me if he hears me say that. But let me say this too, that why is it that we can get really good people? I don't know that that was true 10, 15 years ago. Would that same sort of profile of person who's at a Dow or BSF, would they have came to a startup like Trillium? I think there was a lot of skepticism. You mentioned timing earlier. I think that's another, the timing's right. People feel like this isn't going anywhere this time, that this effort to decarbonize has some real staying power this time. I think that's a big reason why we get some of the talent that we're getting. People want to work on this. I think that's right. And to a certain degree, I feel like we've ta- we've reached the tipping point or maybe are approaching the tipping point of green and sustainable chemistry in terms of at least the fact that it's going to stick around, right? That there's this recognition and acceptance that it has to be part of our future. At the same time, when you talk about the quantities and obviously it's big for a startup, right? It's a drop in the bucket in terms of the the net demand. It makes you wonder some of these aspirations we have about net zero and carbon neutrality by 2050. Is it feasible? Is it going to happen? Or what needs to happen to make it happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of things to say. One is that what Trillium's doing is, I think, it's the leading answer. I mean, we are the leading option to decarbonize acrylic. I think that's clear. But we're not the only answer. I think you're going to see all kinds of actions taken beyond just trillium. You're going to see people buy blocks of renewable electricity. You're going to see people convert to blue ammonia because Section 45 tax credits incentivize that. You may see green ammonia, maybe not in the next year, but five years from now. So you're going to see lots of little parts and pieces stack up. Does that get us to net zero? Net zero is challenging. It's a tough, That's a tough standard to meet. Right. Even if you flip the switch when you go all bio, that doesn't mean we're going to get to net zero. So we're sober. Net zero is a real challenge. But I do think you're there's enough publicly available 
information that says this is happening. Concrete's in the ground, pipes are being built, right? So we are going to see reduction. There's no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you and for Trillium? What should we be looking for over the coming, you know, six to 12 months? Well, we'll announce where we're going to build this demonstration plant. That'll be big news for us. I mean, that's the final pre-commercial step for us. People talk about the valley of death. You're building and spending money without making any revenue. That's the last step. We're funded. We're going to be funded to do that. And once you get there, you can start talking about a first-of-a-kind commercial plant. Very cool. Well, I am looking forward to that announcement and seeing where it is and how it plays out for you guys. Yeah. No, we're excited about it. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us today on The Chemical Show. Appreciate having you here, Corey. Yep. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep listening, following, sharing, and we will talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.